the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. Thanks for tuning in. It is a wet, wet day outside, so please be careful with your driving. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is the Word to Stand Up for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions, life questions, anything else that's on your heart or mind. Uh, we'll do the very best that we can to answer Whatever is on your heart. 340-9585 is our phone number. That's area code 210. 340-9585. If you are uh, in the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free. And uh, you can do that at 877-630-KSLR. 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. Uh, and you can use our free Calvary Chapel mobile app as well. Remember, if you're driving in your car in these wet streets, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen. You'll be connected directly to the studio producer. Let's get right to questions today while we await your phone calls. Uh, I'm not sure if this is Eddie or Edie, but he or she says, I think Christians are dishonest in the way you use words. Why not use preferred pronouns and phrases like pro-choice instead of pro-abortion if that's what people want? Well, Eddie or Edie, um, we're not dishonest. We're we're simply describing what is true. Uh, Anybody who would describe themselves as pro-choice is pro-abortion. It's that simple. To to take the life of an unborn child, an innocent child, um, that's what happens with people who, to use your term, are pro-choice. Uh, they have no right to do that. It is murder. Uh, it is uh, uh, compounding sin with more evil sin. And and that's just the way it is. Uh, using preferred pronouns. Uh, if somebody says, well, I, I was a boy yesterday, but I feel like a girl today. That doesn't change who they are biologically. That doesn't change the science. You know, it's always interesting to me that people who are on the opposite side of of, of the argument, they're always saying that, that, you know, we don't believe, we Christians don't believe in science. Science, biology, um, um, chromosomes. I mean, it's undeniable evidence, and it is a lie to use um, the preferred pronoun to somebody who says, well, I, I identify as a girl or identify as a man uh, when my biology is different. Uh, it'd be more honest if they would say, I want to be a man or I want to be a girl, but I'm not. At least that's honest. And we're being honest with people when we say, uh, I can't refer to you as a female if you're a biological male. Um, so, so there's nothing dishonest about it. The dishonesty comes from your argument. So Eddie or Edie, um, just be honest. If somebody says, I don't want to be what I am, uh, I get that. But the fact remains that it doesn't change who they are. 
I wish I was six feet five and, you know, 185, 190 pounds. I'm not. And nothing I do is going to change that. And the same thing is true with gender, identification, anything else. And we're doing a world of damage to these people who are going to find that their lives are even emptier after they transition or after they claim come out with with a, a new gender identity. And they find out that it doesn't solve their problems and it makes things worse. Uh, and and the world's not prepared for that. And we're we're encouraging children uh, who don't know what's best for them. We're encouraging them to make these radical steps and making parents feel like they're they're bigots or Neanderthals if in fact um, they don't agree. Uh, I, I a few weeks ago I read a, a, a news article about um, a custodial parent whose child is being taken away from him, the the man, uh, because he will not consent to um, surgical reassignment for his uh, very young teenage girl. And um, yet the world that we live in says that's okay, and he's the guy who's being wrong. So I think you need to reevaluate what's honest and dishonest Eddie or Edie. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Martin asks, Pesteron, uh, is Vody Bakum reliable to listen to? Yeah, Martin, I actually like Vody. He is a, a Calvinist. Uh, I'm not wild about that, of course. Um, but uh, in in almost every other way, he is um, really solid. Um, very practical, very sensible, uh, easy to understand, um, very zealous in defending the faith and opposing false teaching. Uh, he is um, a, a, a teacher that, uh, except when he's talking about Reformed theology, uh, I just don't find much disagreement with him at all. I, I believe he is absolutely reliable to listen to if you're not reformed in your theology. Just be aware of that. That's the only thing. By the way, regarding Vody, um, he has been having some serious uh, health issues. Um, He nearly died a couple of weeks ago. Maybe it was a little longer, three weeks ago. Um, After uh, a trip to Africa, he had to be uh, uh, airlifted out of Africa. Uh, and returned uh, home to, uh, to for surgery, but had serious heart problems. And um, he is worthy of our prayers for that. So uh, prayerfully, he'll get better and be back out there. He's very v- uh, uh, public. He's, he's uh, out there on social media. Uh, you can find his stuff. Pretty good stuff. Pretty good stuff. Michael, getting more social issue questions now. Uh, Do you believe it is okay to discriminate against gay and trans people in places like work and education? Um, Michael, I don't think it's okay to discriminate against anybody. Um, If somebody's going to work and they are a good worker, um, then they should be rewarded uh, regardless of what their sexual orientation is. Uh, I don't know really what you mean in terms of education. Um, but here's here's the issue. Um, if, if, if somebody comes and gets a job and I hire a man and that man shows up for work the first day of work dressed as a woman, then he has misrepresented who he is. And I I have the right, I should retain the right to say, no, that's not the kind of employee that I want in my place. It's disruptive to my business. It makes my customers uncomfortable. Uh, that's not a discrimination at all. Um, I think that people who, uh, if they're going to get a job, they should be upfront about who they are or who they're not. Uh, and then the employer has the right to make a decision. But it's not discrimination. If I don't want somebody working for me, I'm the business owner. I don't want them working for me. If they are a male who dresses as a female or a female who dresses as a male, 
that's not discrimination. That's simply uh, my rights to, to to employ people that fit in the business model that I have. So um, real discrimination is evil. Nobody should have it. I think that people who are, uh, your, your choices were gay and trans, uh, if they go out and they get a job um, and they do a good job, then they should be compensated fairly. Uh, again, that's not discrimination. So, Michael, I, I don't know where you want me to go with that beyond that, but it's not okay to discriminate. But it is not discrimination to tell people what they're doing is wrong or what they're doing is sin. That's just Christian love being demonstrated. Anonymous says, and this is about us, our worship. I watched an online service you did and noticed a Hillsong worship song by your worship team. I think you should repent for having anything to do with Hillsong. Um, Anonymous, um, I'm not a fan of Hillsong. If you've listened to this program, you know it. I'm certainly not a fan of the church, the doctrine. It's horrible. music are others, and there's a whole lot of really dumb songs. But it is also true that there are some good songs done by those groups. And what we try to do, my worship pastor is responsible to me to make sure that the songs that we sing um, have biblical lyrics. Uh, They're not contaminated simply because they were written or performed by a Hillsong person. Uh, One of the great worship songs of all time is Hillsong, Shout to the Lord. Uh, That was a song that every worship team, I think, in every church ever did. It's a wonderful anthem of worship. And there are some Hillsong songs, and I don't know who does what. I'm not a music person, so uh, I'm not uh, asking my worship pastor to sort of check in with me. Um, I just look at the lyrics. And if the lyric works, if the lyric is good, if they're worshiping on stage, if the people in the audience are worshiping, then the song is done what it's supposed to do. So I don't think this guilt by association mentality that so many of us have as Christians, I don't think that's appealing. I, I don't think it's it's honoring to the Lord. Uh, I think that we ought to bear with one another. I think that we ought to be uh, kind to one another. And this culture that we have created, you're either with us or you're against us. Jesus said it just the opposite. Anybody who's not against me is with me. And I think what we've got to do is understand that. I'm not going to stand and give account for what Hillsong does. I'm going to stand before the Lord and give account for what we do here at Calvary Chapel. And I'm perfectly content in saying, okay, Lord, you know, songs don't get spiritual cooties because a bad group sang them. I think the same thing is true with associations with other pastors. You know, I don't think there's any pastor I've ever heard that I agree with completely. Uh, we just had a question about uh, Vody Bauckham. I, I absolutely love the guy. The, the way he teaches, the style, the conviction, the confidence, the study that's obviously gone into it. Um, but But that doesn't mean I endorse Calvinism. Uh, if, if and I had this question a week or so ago as well, uh, if I had the opportunity to to uh, to preach at a concert or a, a, a service uh, where a Hillsong worship team uh, was doing the worship uh, and I had the freedom to say whatever I wanted to say, I would do that because God's word goes out um, and is effective. It's powerful. And, and, and no doubt somebody would be critical of me for, well, you were on the same stage with them or, or on TBN. That was a question I had specifically. Um, I think we need to stop judging people unfairly uh, because it's not loving. So um, I appreciate you saying you think I should repent. Um, but, man, that's a tough that's a really, really tough position to take. Thank you for the question. Let's go to line one and talk with Ron from Bernie. Hi there. Pastor Ron, you know who I am, right? 
Yeah, Ron, I know who you are. <laughs> okay. I, you, you said something yesterday, you don't mind being challenged by different views. And I, I only want to challenge you with Scripture, not interpretations of Scripture. And I think, playing on what you said, I think that your mind can be changed, and we might have the beginning of a <laughs> great end-time revival. And I'll give you. I've got. Yeah, five, run, run. Yeah. I've got five. Let me know. Uh, just let, let me, Ron. Let me stop you. I took time with you over an hour, um, in person, because you wanted to meet. Yeah. Um, your own words. You weren't even sure, for sure. You wouldn't say that you were a Christian, and yet you have been indicating that I'm a false teacher. And I told you there's no value in us pursuing this anymore. And I certainly don't want to burden the radio audience with it as well. And frankly, I've, I've made the study of the Bible my life's work, Ron. I've been doing it now for 30 years, and you haven't. And uh, while I appreciate your, your being polite and respectful, uh, there just isn't anything of value that's going to come from you and I hashing out or me even giving you a voice on a radio station with tens of thousands of listeners. So, Ron, study your Bible. Believe what you want to believe. You're free to do that. Uh, I'm telling you that what you believe is heretical, and you said no, so I think there's really no place for us to go here. So, Ron, I appreciate it very, very much. Thank you for, again, your kindness and your respect. Uh, I just don't think there's any real value in us going down this road. Terry asks a question. Pastor Ron, when you send a pastor to start a church, what is the most important instruction you give them? Um, you know, Terry, I when I send somebody out to start a church, uh, I give them uh, almost no instruction. I, I don't have to because they've been with me for a long time. And we've talked a lot. And we've shared a lot about what it means to start a church. I can say I think the most pressing thing I tell them is that they can't quit. You know, you just can't quit. When God's called you, you have no right to be uncalled or to uncall yourself. And and I tell them when, when there's, you know, a lot of times pastors get discouraged. Uh, it takes a while to build a church. It really does. And to build a church um, um, where you're struggling just to survive and there's very few people coming, um, people get discouraged and they quit. And yet I always tell them, look, if there's just a few people that call you pastor, then you can't quit on them. You just can't quit. And Terry, personally, this is just my story. Uh, it didn't look like God was actually starting a church here through us for more than two years when we got here. I mean, I had so many times when I thought, Lord, did I make the wrong decision but but I just remembered he called me, and I didn't have the freedom to quit. And because I didn't have the freedom to quit, I kept pressing on, and the result is uh, now 26 years of ministry that have been so abundantly blessed, it's just almost impossible for me to describe. So that's what I tell them. Don't quit. You're ripping yourself off, and you're misrepresenting God. To, to the people who uh, you said, God said, I'm here to start a church. So I think that's the most urgent thing, the press, most pressing thing that I tell them. But in terms of instruction, uh, they know already to teach the word. They know to be faithful, to do it verse by verse, chapter by chapter. Um, they know to live lives that are above reproach so that God's word is not going to be maligned because of something they've done or said. And and I tell them to love the people. But they know those things from their experience with me. I don't think we've sent any pastor out to start a church who hasn't been with me for a number of years. And in most cases, uh, it was quite a few of those years. So Terry, Terry, I hope that helps. Our next question, anonymous, it says, I have become interested in a woman who's divorced. We're both believers, and the divorce was not her fault. I'm being told I should not marry her because her husband is still alive. Uh, Anonymous, that's um, a silliness. I don't know who's telling you that, uh, but um, especially 
If you're equally yoked, you say you are both believers. If the divorce wasn't her fault, uh, then she's free to remarry. And if you've fallen in love with her, God's brought the two of you together. God bless you. And it doesn't matter that her husband is still alive because guess what? He's no longer her husband. You know, we have, and I'm a fundamentalist, so so don't misunderstand what I'm about to say, but we have heretical fundamentalists when it comes to this issue of married. married you know, well, God says don't divorce, and my wife is uh, remarried now to somebody else, but I still claim her as my wife. No, she's married to somebody else. She's not. That's just not being realistic. It's not being honest. So if if you're both believers, you love Jesus, uh, certainly her divorce wasn't her fault. Um, then if you're interested in her and she in you, then you make the commitment to serve God together with all of your heart and soul. And God would be smiling on you. Make no mistake about that. That gives me an opportunity to share with you and ask for prayer. Paul and I are leaving Thursday morning. We will be doing the date day show uh, from Oklahoma. And the Friday show, assuming the phone lines all work in Oklahoma. I know Oklahoma's kind of backwards, and I say that kiddingly because I've got friends there. But um, we're doing a marriage conference, a marriage retreat uh, out of uh, the Calvary Chapel in Norman, Oklahoma there. And we're looking forward to it. And we would appreciate knowing that people are praying. Um, we are going to be uh, uh, thrilled to, to be able to do this. So please, please, please keep us in your prayers. Here's a question from Tim. Uh, have you ever thought about starting a new church work? And if so, what book would you teach first? Tim, that's a great question. You know, I like I like starting new things. Uh, there has been, uh, it wasn't the Lord, but there have been probably four or five times um, in our 26 years here. Uh, usually it happens when I'm invited to speak at a church, especially if it's a small church, uh, because that excites me. To build something from the ground up is exciting to me personally. Uh, but uh, those were fleeting thoughts only. I, I like adventure. Even at my age, I'd go and do it today if that's what the Lord told me to do. But Tim, one of the one of the advantages that I've had here uh, in my 26 years here in San Antonio is the Lord spoke to my heart very, very strongly, very clearly from the beginning that this would be the place where I would serve and die. So for me, the opportunity to start a new church was never a realistic one because I knew that the Lord wouldn't be in it. Now, that's not something he tells a lot of people. It's certainly not something that he would require of most people. I've got uh, people we've sent out to start churches. They plant a church, raise up people, and then go start another one. We've had that happen several times. But just for me, I've known from the beginning that the people here at Calvary Chapel were stuck with me. <laughs> so if they don't like me, they got to be the ones that move. But But I've known that this was going to be where Paula and I planted um, and and where we had roots and we were going to stay. And uh, being able to stay at one church for a long time is a real blessing. It's a real blessing. You get to see people grow up. You get to see fruit coming from their lives. Uh, I think the people that change locations or the Lord leads from place to place or in many cases den denominations transfer people, uh, I think that um, um, they're they're actually missing out because all they ever see is problems. They never get to see any results of of, of good fruit that come from the work that they've done. Uh, I've I've seen families that were just disasters become trophies for Jesus. Uh, I've seen people walk in here hating each other, husbands and wives, ready to divorce, get saved. And, and now their marriages are, are such that God uh, can can use them as examples to others. So uh, I, I, while, while the, the adventure of a new work is always appealing to me, it's something personally I would enjoy. Um, that's not what God's will for me and for Paula is. And so we uh, we understand, and we've always understood that this is where we were going to be. 
So, Tim, I hope that helps. Yes, what book would I teach if I was going to do it? Um, 26 years ago, when we taught our first Bible study, it was May 31st, 1995. Uh, it was the book of Mark. I said, uh, open your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verse 1. And went through that book. And I like teaching Mark, especially um, in a foundation, uh, starting the ministry, because uh, it's it's concise. Uh, it's Peter's account of his ministry with Jesus. And um, um, we get Peter's perspective and gives a little bit about Peter's personality. I thought it was very, very powerful. So that's exactly what we started with 26 years ago. And probably, if I were going to do that, again, I'm not, but if I were going to do that, I'd probably start in the Gospel of Mark uh, again. So I hope that answers your questions, Tim. Thank you very, very much. Hey, we are getting close to, well, there's the music, just as I started to say. We're getting close to the end of this half hour. Uh, we have 30 minutes left on the program, 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. We'd love you to call. You're more interesting than I am. If you're outside the local area, toll-free, you can call 877-630-KSLR. We'll be back on the other side of the break. We'll see you in two minutes. to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to the second half of our tuesday show 340-9585 my first question for this half hour is from rachel and she wants to know what are your thoughts about the moderate use of alcohol by christians um, Rachel, I've been talking about this a lot because I did a Bible study um, just this past Sunday where I talked about it a lot. Um, um, moderate use of alcohol is not a sin. Um, you asked for my thoughts, so here's my thoughts. Paul says all things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial. How can alcohol be beneficial? Why would any Christian want to drink alcohol, especially we who are parents, we've got kids at home watching our example. Why would we want to drink alcohol? Just because we have the freedom to do it if it doesn't make us closer to Jesus. Uh, I just can't see any redeeming value in it at all. And I realize there are people that enjoy it. As a pastor, I've seen so much damage over the years caused by alcohol, so much pain, destruction. I've seen generations of families be plagued, having grown up in a home where alcohol was abused. And I just don't think there is any value at all. Rachel, I've seen so much pain caused by alcohol that I wish the Bible said that drinking at all was a sin, but it doesn't. Uh, I ask the leaders of our church here. I don't ask anybody else. Um, like you, every Christian uh, has the right to exercise their Christian liberty. First um, Corinthians eight through through chapter ten uh, clearly says that we shouldn't do it at the expense of others. We should give it up uh, in order to be a blessing to others. But but to tell you that you can't do it is not my job. I can tell you that you shouldn't. Um, but you are not in sin if you do. Um, it's between you and Jesus to figure out why you want to drink, what value is it, how does it enhance your walk with the Lord at all. So those are my thoughts. I get a lot of heat for that. If people don't like it. Well, you're trying to limit my freedom or you're a legalist. I'm just saying if you've seen the pain that I've seen caused by alcohol, you would be asking the same questions. Why would anybody want to do it? Andrew wants to know, what is the abomination that causes desolation? Um, uh, Andrew, the abomination that caused desolation, there, there, there were two of them that the Bible talks about. One, uh, both in type, 
the uh, evil ruler Antiochus Epiphanes uh, slaughtered a pig in the Jewish altar uh, to, to desecrate um, the, the, uh, the, the Holy of Holies. Um, but that was a picture of that which will happen during the Great Tribulation. In fact, at the midway point of the Great Tribulation, where the man that we call the Antichrist uh, sets up an image of himself to be worshipped by Jews in the temple. Uh, for the first three and a half years of the Great Tribulation, uh, the Antichrist is going to going to be popular. He's going to sweep into power. Uh, the world is going to proclaim he's a man of peace. Remember that Jesus said, "When people are saying peace and safety, be careful." Um, and and he is going to win the hearts of the people, including Jews, because he's going to permit Jews to rebuild their temple on Solomon's Mount. Now, obviously, the problem with that is that. Um, um, he is going to eventually, because he's empowered by the devil, he is going to want to be worshipped himself. And so it's going to be the halfway point of the Great Tribulation, three and a half years, where he says, um, uh, no more, I'm going to be worshipped. If you're going to worship anybody, you're going to worship me. And that's exactly what what he does. So that's the abomination that causes desolation. That's when Israel flees. They will flee to the rock city of Petra in Jordan. That's the place where God is going to preserve them for the last three and a half years when the Antichrist's forces go after them trying to kill every Jew. Uh, God will protect them. And then, of course, they will be met with Jesus returning. Um, Revelation chapter 19 indicates Jesus will return to the Mount of Olives and every eye will see him. And they will they will realize at least one third of the Jews who are alive at that time will recognize that this was the Messiah and they killed him. And then they will come to faith in Jesus Christ. So, Andrew, I hope that answers your question. Thank you very, very much for the question. Here's a question that comes in. Oh, we got a call. Jeff on line one. Jeff, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Sam Antonio is very wet right now. <laughs> it is thunder and lightning out here, and we're just hunkered down. But it's good to hear what part you. Of town are you what, what part of town are you in, Jeff? I'm not far from you right now. I'm I'm uh, close okay. to uh, 281 and 410. So just, just about four or five miles from you. So, but it's coming down. Um, yep. So, so we're going to have a live uh, date day on Thursday from Oklahoma. Yes. Awesome. Can't wait. Last night, Pastor, um, in the in the men's Bible study, and I'm wondering if you would also reflect on this. This was really help, helpful when Pastor Ken talked about what our Christian testimonies, like our spoken testimonies, should be like. You know, he said it should be, you know, 90% Jesus, 10% pre-Jesus. And, and, and I really get that, but I think folks, a lot of, a lot of Christians kind of do it the other way around. And, and I just wondered if you would talk to us about uh, giving our testimony. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. thank you, Jeff. I will. appreciate your call. Um, a couple of things about testimonies. They, they're, they're vitally important. You know, when we share what God has done in our lives, uh, nobody can deny that. The people who knew you before Christ, the, the people that didn't know you before Christ, they'll say, oh, come on, it couldn't have been that bad. But, but you're the expert, so they won't challenge you on that. Personal testimonies are so important that Paul gives his three separate times in the book of Acts. Now, obviously, that's not the only three times he ever shared his testimony, but, but we've got three recorded testimonies given by Paul in the book of Acts. He thought it was important. I'll also say this, that his testimonies were probably not 90% Jesus. His testimonies were often more like 50-50. And I just think this is a place where a Christian has to sort of read the Spirit of God, ask for discernment and know what to do. Uh, I think that we have to be honest about who we are and who we were, um, about our own inability to affect any change. And then at the same time, we have the opportunity to um, um, 
reveal the, the, the fullness of the Lord that redeemed us from who we were. So um, I, I've heard that before. I think when, when we say 90% Jesus or, or, or post-Christ, uh, I think that's because there's a lot of times when people giving testimonies have a tendency to embellish or they'll, they'll dredge up their old sinful lifestyle with too much detail. Uh, I, I just don't think there's a rule that can be followed in that, in that sense. Uh, I think we tell people the truth. One of the things that we've been asked to do, Jeff, at the uh, at the, the marriage retreat that we're doing, is Paul and I have been asked to take the first session and give our testimony. Uh, typically, I don't like to do that. The, the only reason I I do that or I I don't like to do it is because uh, I prefer to teach the word. Uh, but, you know, we're servants. So when somebody asks us to do something a certain way, that's the way we're going to do it. So in our first session, which will be uh, Friday night, uh, we're going to share our testimony, uh, the testimony of our marriage, what God's done, and sort of what's been happening here in our um, 30 years as Christians together. Uh, so we're going to do that. Now, when I give my testimony, and I don't say this with any boasting at all, but but when the Lord asked me to give my testimony, now keep in mind, this isn't Jesus asking me to do this. This is the people in Oklahoma, the pastor and his wife. Um, when the Lord tells me to share my testimony, people always get saved. Uh, I've been to other churches and um, um, done a lot of speaking outside this place. And whenever the Lord puts on my heart to share my testimony, I tell the other uh, the pastor, you need to have people there because people are going to get saved, and it always, 100% of the time, is the case. So so God values our testimonies a great deal. Jeff, thank you for the question. Glad you got to come to the men's Bible study last night. Here is a question. This one is from our email inbox from Michael. Hello, Pastor. Good to see you, and I hope you and Paula are well. In regards to Mark chapter 5, verse 34, is this the only time our Lord Jesus has called a woman daughter? And if so, why is that? Is there any significance in that? Let me read the verse. Uh, this is the woman with the issue of blood. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. The idea there, uh, Michael, is uh, this is a woman who was an outcast. Um, with an issue of blood that would have rendered her unclean. We know that she suffered for 12 years. She would have been horribly isolated from from the religious community, but, but she wouldn't have been able even to be involved uh, socially with people or in terms of business. She couldn't have, if she had things that she made and sold to sustain her, for example, she wouldn't be able to do that in the outer courts of the temple. So this was a woman who was an outcast. And... Um, what Jesus is saying when he calls her daughter is he's saying, you were never cast out by my father. You've always been one of my kids. Daughter, he said to him. It was very tender and very, very sweet. I think, and I, I don't, I'm not seeing well enough to get to my concordance, uh, even on the computer today, but I think he, he, he called a woman daughter one other time. Uh, and it would have been time, if I'm right, it was a Syrophoenician woman um, that uh, he said he's not found uh, that kind of faith before and and, uh, and healed her. But, but I would have to check on that for sure. But it was a term of endearment. It was a term to let her know that even though she took this huge risk, I mean, she could have been stoned to death under Jewish law. She could have been stoned to death for, for coming into contact with a rabbi um, she touched his robe. He felt virtue, power come out of him. And he knew instantly. And he wanted to know that she is beloved by God. And I think that's a really, really tender thing. Twelve years of agony. Twelve years. And now the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords addresses her as a daughter. The second question of it, Acts chapter 15, verse 29, it says, what does it mean when they tell the Gentiles to abstain from blood uh, and from eating meat of strangled animals? Does that have any meaning for us today? It really doesn't have any meaning for us today, but this is the Council of Jerusalem. 
And you remember, this was when Jews were trying to make Gentiles live under the law, and Paul confronted uh, some to their faces, and he said, look, we, we put a yoke on, on Gentiles that even we Jews can't resolve. So um, what they were doing is, is basically negotiating. This was a real stand that the Apostle Paul took for our faith. This Council of Jerusalem was a pivotal point. The church would have been entirely Jewish had Paul not taken this stand. And, uh, and what he said was um, uh, the conclusion after debating with James in particular, the Lord's half-brother, uh, all we ask of Gentiles now, not they have to be circumcised, uh, just abstain from food that's been sacrificed to idols, and that's so as not to make anybody stumble, and from blood, and from what has been strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you do, uh, if you keep yourselves from these, you will do well, and then they send them off with their blessing. Uh, and and the, the, the other three things, the, the blood uh, was, was just an accommodation. Um, if it would be a stumbling block to Jews, then Gentiles shouldn't do that. And that's what he's saying. Giving up their freedom in Christ. This isn't a, a rare piece of steak. We're talking about just eating meat that's still got the blood. Blood is in the life that was a very important concept to a Jew. And so for Jews, would be an abomination. And and uh, Paul says, just look, we don't want to offend anybody. So that's just loving people. That's That's considering others before ourselves. And then uh, the sexual immorality, of course, then that's what Paul taught anyway. So uh, he, he was making a concession that really wasn't um, a requirement. What he's saying is, look, when you're around Jews, do these things so that we can win the Jews for Jesus Christ. Let's help the, the Christians in Jerusalem win others by being sensitive to those things that would be offensive to Jews. Thank you, Michael. Good questions. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Randy wants to know, uh, what is your overall view of the online church experience and the long-term effects of people staying home instead of being physically in church? Uh, Randy, I've spoken about that a lot. We've, We've gotten a lot of questions on the program about that. Uh, I think the long-term effects of people staying home is going to be devastating. Um, you're, you're just as blunt as I can be. You're not in church if you're at home watching online. Church is a community of believers, and to be effective with the gifts God has given you, you have to be in that community of believers. That's why Paul warns the Church of the Hebrews uh, not to neglect the assembling together of the saints. Uh, this is a mandate for us. And uh, to be uh, out of church for long periods of time uh, causes people, their their habit patterns change. Uh, they get to the point where it's really easy to rationalize. Well, I don't need to get up and go to church. It, it, it in effect, uh, enables people to be spiritually lazy. And again, that's another one of Paul's warnings to the Church of the Hebrews. They've grown spiritually lazy. By now, some of you ought to be teachers, but but you need milk instead of solid food. Um, and and uh, online church does that. You know, a Bible study is not a church experience. Now, I love the fact that we can do Bible studies online. I love the fact that that um, we have access to Bible studies from all over the world. However, that's not church. It's a Bible study. Good. It's a good thing. But it doesn't replace church. It was never intended to replace the experience of being in church, of serving your neighbors, of being available. Um, Randy, let me just share with you. When when we have people who come to Calvary Chapel of San Antonio, uh, if they're new, uh, there's going to be, I've got probably 60 or 70 people in every service who are looking for opportunities to, to welcome new people and to ask them if they need prayer for anything, to to get to know them, to make them feel comfortable in the church. They're using their gifts for the benefit of other people. That just doesn't happen at home. Uh, And again, the the effect that this has had of changing people's habits, it gets people out of the habit of coming to church, um, and they just don't see the need any longer. And I think it is a devastating, it's going to be even more devastating 
being in church physically is really, really essential to a healthy, vibrant Christian life. I could go on and on, Randy, but I've been doing that um, with the, the many questions we've had on that view. Let me say one last thing, however. Um, those of you who have been staying home for um, genuine health reasons, God bless you. You're doing the best you can. And when we say people need to be in church, there are some people who need not to be in church as well. And if you're dealing with um, uh, issues that, that physically that um, would mean, for example, that COVID could be fatal for you, if you're in a high-risk category, then then staying home is fine. And I'm not even not even thinking about you when I answer these questions. What I'm talking about is a healthy Christian, uh, the person who's gotten used to staying home, um, or the person that is uh, unnecessarily fearful, and there are a lot of those, um, they're doing damage to their relationship with Jesus Christ. God loves them still, but, but again, a healthy, vibrant walk with Jesus requires us ministering to and with and for other people. Nate asked the question, in 1 Corinthians 11, what is meant by because of the angels? You know, Nate, um, nobody really knows for sure. Uh, Peter mentions it as well as Paul in this instance, but um, he's talking about head coverings and being under authority, and he says, and because of the angels. Uh, Peter talks about the angels longing to look into the things concerning grace. Um, So we don't really know what that means Evidently, however, it means that angels are interested observers in the things that are going on here. And so when we gather as a church in, in, in 1 Corinthians 11, what we're being told is that the angels are watching what happens. And if somebody is um, not covered by authority, well, the angels would probably um, be asking the question, Why? but because of the angels. We want to set a good example for angels as well. Again, why do they want to look at things here when they could be looking at Jesus? I don't know, but um, that's just one of those very obscure references in Scripture, Nate, that we don't really have a clear answer to. Okay, I think we're inside about four minutes left. Uh, says, Pastor Ron, with everything going on in Israel... Why do you think God allows them to go through such misery when he has promised to defend them? Um, Rachel, God has, has always defended Israel throughout the history of Israel. Um, God has, has fought for them, with them, uh, repeatedly. But there's also times when God has turned them over because of their sin, because of their rebellion against God. He's turned them over uh, to uh, enemy armies. And he's done that because uh, that's his way of judging Israel. So um, today, Israel is a secular country. Even the religious Jews, the Orthodox Jews, the the, um, Hasidic Jews uh, that that identify in in Jerusalem, um, they're in sin and rebellion against God. So... Um, they go through stuff because of their rebellion against God. It's that simple. Just like if we rebel against God, then then we go through stuff. Well, that's exactly what's going on there. Let me say something, Rachel, about all the stuff that's going on in Israel, Israel militarily. Um, Israel could so easily be wiped off the map. So easily, because uh, although they're strong militarily for what they are, I mean, um, they're no match for for uh, the Arab nations in terms of resources or money, um, nor are they ma- any match in terms of weaponry uh, from from those nations that are supplied weapons by China, Russia. Uh, but God always fights for them. God's going to be fighting for them. I mean, we see now public sentiment. Um, fueled by our media, starting to turn against Israel. And it's happening very, very quickly. Um, Hamas is is 
guilty of shooting missiles. Uh, Israel is defending herself. That's all they're doing. Hamas is using civilian locations to store weapons. So when Israel goes after those locations, uh, they know that civilians, innocents, are going to be caught in the crossfire and they're going to die. And, of course, the world says, but Israel's missiles are killing babies and they're killing women. Um, it's only because those missiles are located in a place where civilians are sort of the, the human shield. Uh, and why we can't understand this, I don't know. If somebody attacked us in the United States, Sim would be instantly, um, whatever you do. But, but we don't allow Israel that privilege. And I think what we're going to see, we're going to see even more strongly the sentiment in this world and in this country, sadly, uh, turning against Israel. Um, Israel does not belong to the Palestinians. Israel belongs to Jews, God's people. It's his land. He gave it to them. When they were chased out because of sin, um, when they rejected Jesus and ceased to become a nation in 70 AD, God chastised them, but he brought them back into their homeland. Uh, and we got to understand that, that God is defending them and the time is coming soon when uh, Jesus is going to reestablish his kingdom from the throne of David. Hey, thank you for tuning in today. We've a little bit quiet on the phones. Be safe out there while you're driving. May the Lord bless you and keep you. You've been listening to The Word to Stand Up for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Oh, yeah.